Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hello, everyone. This is Jerry Reese. I'm a writer, director, animator, sometimes sculptor and voice actor, who is talking to you from the Skull Rock Podcast. Have fun. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Gold and Dave Bossert. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Skull Rock Podcast. The show about all things Disney and pop culture, where every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Goh, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan. And you can email me, Aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, we've got another great week uh, here. There's a lot to talk about. My gosh, it's craziness. We've got uh, a great interview with animation uh, and story artist uh, Steve Moore. Awesome. Uh, yeah, which I'm really excited to talk to him. Uh, he's a terrific guy. Uh, he's been in the business a while, and so we're going to hear about his career and some of the projects he's been working on. Oh, that's great, man. And uh, I love the fact that every week we have some new, fresh interviews with some amazing people who are just outstanding in their field. So uh, if you if you love And, and by pop, the yeah. way, I I'm excited because I I you know, right before we went on the air, I I shared with you some of the other guests that I have uh gotten booked here for the show. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you and I have our work cut out for us. We've got a lot of great people coming on. I love that. And and thanks for for lining them up. I mean, it's great to have your friends come in and sit down and have a little coffee talk with us which is uh, outstanding. Every week it's a highlight of my week, and I absolutely love it. So, Well, you know, I'm shocked at how many friends I really have, I guess. <laughs> Davey, so many friends. <laughs> you didn't even know it. Hey, before we talk about what's been going on this week, I, I first have to address, uh, you know, what happened in Nashville? I just, I just wanted to say. Oh I yeah, I, that was that, that was just so terrible. I, I mean, my gosh. Yeah, it's just it's my hometown, and you know we're still reeling from the events. But you know, once again, um, it, it's it, the first, the first, you know, step in the journey of a thousand, uh, thousand miles is to take that very first step. So let's take some steps. You know, and let's yeah, but we, you know, together. we're becoming numb as a nation to all of this stuff. It's craziness. It it is, and I think it's indicative of just you know, I, we've had so many discussions at work. You know, we we go into work. It's a very somber attitude at work, 
um, because it hit so close to home. We had people that were affected and, you know, one of our kids, you know, their teachers was affected by that because their daughter or, you know, is a, is one of their kids' teachers is the daughter of one of those that were, were killed. Oh, and my gosh. So, so, you know, I think people need to know that they're not alone and there's a lot of, lot of stigma, I think, still surrounding mental health. But I think it's just really important to know that you're not alone and if you're struggling out there, there's always resources that can help you and – you know, family and friends need to really step up and 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 maybe help and intervene with people that they see as struggling. That um, you know, we, these things could have so, totally been avoided. But you know, my hats off to you know the first responders and people you know that that really helped uh, this this tragedy. But um, that said, too, I mean, we also had a bunch of uh, tornadoes rip through um, the South and Midwest uh, this week as well. The damage was prolific. So um, you know, once again. You know, just uh, do what you can to help out. And uh, the American Red Cross is a great place to uh, kind of make sure that anything you do to help these people is, is, is surely uh, going to be put to the right place. The the tornadoes are shocking. It's, I mean, the it's, devastation that's hitting in those areas, and it just seems like it's been happening now for weeks. And and, and it feels like Tornado Alley has moved it, that's what uh, I've been saying. to the east. It shifted a little bit, and, you know, yeah. we're in that mix as well, um, being in Middle Tennessee, and, you know, tornadoes rip through here seemingly uh, on a yearly basis, it, it seems, um, every spring. So, um, you know, let's just look out for each other, and, uh, you know, the great thing about humanity is that we have the ability to pick ourselves up and help each other out in times of crisis. Resilience. So, resilience is so key. So. So just keep those people in your thoughts. And uh, Amen. And now, Dave, uh, you know, this week was great for you because you got to catch up with one of our guests, uh, you know, Jerry Reese from last week's episode with his Reese's piece. He's an art opening. How was that? It was fantastic. You know, I, I, I went to it on Saturday night. Uh, and it was crowded, I have to yeah, say. Yeah. And, and I will tell you that I'm going to go back to the gallery because the show is running all all through the month of April. Mm-hmm. And I am going to go back to the gallery uh, sometime this month just to see the artwork. It was just so crowded. It was hard to actually to enjoy the artwork. Wow. It was just so many people there. But I got to tell you, it was almost like a Skull Rock reunion. Uh, <laughs> there were just so so many of the people that were there we've had on the show. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, I saw Ron Husband. I saw John Musker. I saw Floyd Norman, uh, um, uh, Dan Jupe, Steve Moore, who's, who's, you know, we're, we're interviewing today. Yeah. Um, uh, who else did I see? Uh, Bob Kurtz. Sure. Um, uh, you know, just so many folks that, that we've had on the show over the, over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's always fun going to those events. And I have to tell you, you know, Jerry Reese, his wife, Rebecca, and I, we have to get Rebecca on the show at some point because okay, she's, yeah. a, she's an incredible artist and, and also an animation professional. Um, and, and then their two sons. Uh, I mean, what, it was incredible. It was a family affair. And, uh, I wasn't surprised that it was so crowded because you basically got four artists with their works in this gallery. That's awesome. So, that's yeah, awesome. so that was a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, I'm going to go back so I can actually enjoy the artwork. It was, it was just too crowded. I love it. You know? I love it. Well, 
I'm glad and, and, and by the way, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Al John. I, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, yeah. but I, I was going to mention one other thing. Okay. I, I got Tammy Tucky's CD. Yeah, yeah, you did. You posted it, and Tammy's yeah. a, a great podcaster, content creator, and of course, musician in her own right. And uh, we had her on a, a few months back, and it's. I'm glad to see that her album finally we, came out. Yeah, and we're going to have her back on in a couple weeks because the, the album actually releases uh, April 15th. That's nice. And so we're going to have her on the show, and we're going to play some of the tracks for our listeners to hear. Well, I know that I contributed to her Kickstarter, so I can't wait to get my copy of her record. And uh, I'm just so glad that uh, you know Tammy's back doing her thing, and it's always great to support uh, you know, once again, the creative individuals that really love, uh, you know, Disney brand or the storytelling and want to make their mark. And, and she certainly has done that. Um, this is her, what, second album? So, I believe uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so so good for her. She's an amazing singer, so uh, I can't wait to check this out. It's Glowing in Timeless Places. It's available for pre-order right now. So, uh, you know, check out TammyTucky.com uh, to order it. To order it, it would be amazing. So, awesome. All righty. So, um, you know, once again, we love it when you interact with us. You can follow us on all the, uh, as Dave said, all the social media. You can also hit us up with those uh, those uh, emails as well. Dave? You know, I, I, I wanted to mention, you know, because we, we often get comments. I got a lot of comments uh, in person. Uh, on Saturday night oh, at yeah. the gallery opening. Okay. And, you know, I, I was talking to Ron Husband, and Ron loved the interviews that he did. He was on for three weeks in a row with yeah, us yeah. back in February. He loved the, uh, the, the show, and he particularly called out the segment where we talk about what we've been watching, our picks for the week. Yeah, he loves and, that. And yeah. he, really, he really loves the banter between you and I. And and also hearing about the different shows. So I hope I hope our listeners are enjoying that segment and getting some ideas on things to watch because there is so much content out there to sort through. Oh, I think yeah. it's great that we're making recommendations to people and, and letting you know whether it's good or bad or whatever, you know? Oh, for sure. And I, I've heard that as well from other people and it's like, you know, it's just us, you know, talking through things. But I think people really appreciate that. So that's that's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad people dig it. And having said that, once again, please feel free to send us those emails. We would appreciate it when we'll read your email and answer your questions in a future episode of Skull Rock Podcast. Time, Dave, to check out our picks of the week. What you've been watching, Dave? Well, you know, I went and saw John Wick Chapter 4 Ooh. in IMAX. Ooh. And, you know, this was about a three-hour movie. Wow, that's long. And it didn't feel that way. Okay. But I have to tell you, Al John, this was a great movie. It really was. And okay. and you could tell from the box office. I mean, the box office, uh, it's a franchise high uh, opening weekend uh, for John Wick 4. And uh, it was exhausting watching this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> somebody apparently uh, did a body count uh, for the first three chapters. Oh, okay. Uh, and they apparently came up with 299. There was 299 people killed in the first three movies. Oh, my. There, there must have been almost that many killed in chapter four. <laughs> I'm telling oh, you, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, and the choreography of these fight scenes right. is just absolutely amazing to me. Wow. 
Well, that's so, great. Good. And I have to tell you, two thumbs up. If you get a chance to see this, go see it on a big screen because it's really a spectacular film. Um, and, and and I also have to mention there is, and we should put a link to this in our show notes. There was a trailer for a film called Sisu. Oh yeah, you showed me this trailer. Sisu, S I S U. You've got to watch the trailer for it. Uh, one of the one of the you know they put type across the screen periodically as this trailer's playing. Right. And and one of the, one of them says, "The most fun you'll have watching Nazis be destroyed." Oh well, you know in the past we we criticized trailers because you know they maybe are misleading or perhaps oh I terrible don't know, terrible they don't trailer tell you what, tell you what the movie's about. about. Right? But let me read you this boiler real quick, and then you can discuss it. It says, during the last desperate days of World War II, a solitary prospector crosses paths with Nazis on a scorched earth retreat in northern Finland, where the Nazis steal his gold and quickly discover that they have just tangled with no ordinary miner. And the Finnish word, there's no direct translation for the Finnish word sisu, but it means white-knuckled form of courage and an unimaginable uh, determination in the face of overwhelming odds. So basically, this guy is like a steamroller, right? You know, they, they can't miss, kill him. They can't kill him. He refuses to die. Yes. So, so I, he was, I, I yeah. have to tell you, this was the perfect trailer to put with John Wick 4 because, you know, John Wick 4 is apparently the last chapter of the John Wick series. Oh, isn't that a shame? Or so we thought. Or so you think. Be- well, we'll because talk about it, it had news. such an opening weekend <laughs> that Lionsgate has put. John Wick Chapter Five back on the table. John and, Wick, and, John, yeah, John Wick is going to be like Mission Impossible. <laughs> I feel that you know Keanu Reeves has this role as long as he wants to do it. Well, I you know something. I, I think they're they're seriously looking at doing a John Wick Five because of the opening and because of the notices. You know, it got like a ninety six on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. Yeah. Wow, from the and, critics. Yeah, I mean it was really high up there uh, uh, for for the critics, and it's gotten an A for uh, audience. I mean it's such a terrific movie. Uh, awesome. Anyway, but this this Sisu trailer was hilarious to see, and uh, I can't wait to see that movie when it comes out. It's just it. fantastic. Well, good. Uh, I think I will have the most fun watching Nazis be destroyed you, in a movie theater. You showed me this trailer, and I <laughs> I literally my mouth was a, a gas because it's this official Red Band trailer. Now I didn't see that in the very beginning when I when I clicked it, but I told you I said I think this is a red band trailer because yeah. it's so graphic, yeah. and graphic in just a outrageous kind of way that you would you know see these type of films, you know like it, it's I mean Rambo at the time was very very violent, but this yeah. is so graphic it's just insane how graphic it but, is. But but as you said earlier, this trailer tells you exactly what this movie is about. And it made me say, yeah, I got to see that film. I can't wait to see it. So there we have it. Uh, that was what I saw in the movie theaters. On the smaller screen, you know, I watched Shrinking. It is a terrific show. Uh, here's a synopsis. A grieving therapist starts to break the rules by telling his clients exactly what he thinks. Jimmy has lost his wife and wants to try a new approach to his loss, but it's unclear how this will help others. This is such a great series. It's uh, it's uh, Jason Siegel is Jimmy. 
Uh, Harrison Ford plays Dr. Paul Rhodes, uh, who is sort of the head of this therapist practice that Jimmy works at. Um, and uh, Jessica Williams plays Gabby. Uh, Christina Miller, haven't seen her in a while. She used to be on the Drew Carey show. She's in this. Uh, it is a great cast, and it's a funny show. Uh, I would highly recommend this to our listeners. Uh, if you have Apple Plus, check this out. It's really a terrific show. Uh, also on Apple Plus, I continued watching Ted Lasso as the episodes are dropping. Uh, new uh, last week was uh, Rabbit Hole with um, uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is in this. Uh, and essentially, this is uh, nothing is what it seems with John Weir, who, who's the Kiefer Sutherland character. A master of deception in the world of corporate espionage is framed for a murder by powerful forces with the ability to influence and control populations. So I, I have to tell you, um, you know, s- some of the buzz on this was that the first two episodes weren't that great. They were confusing. Uh, and that they sent out episodes three and four to the critics to watch. But but guess what? Uh, I thought right from the get-go, you know, episodes one and two were fine if you pay attention. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that's going on with a lot of these shows, Al, John, these new shows, is it takes an episode or two to, you know, for the cast to kind of gel and uh, to get that chemistry going and to, you know, really sort of, you know, get comfortable with their roles, it seems like. So you have to give these shows, I think, a little bit of a chance. Uh, so Rabbit Hole, I enjoyed uh, the first two episodes on. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. And that's on Paramount+. Plus. Um, on Hulu, uh, if you've got your Disney Plus bundle with Hulu, check out Unprisoned. Um, Unprisoned is a show with um, Carrie Washington, right, uh, right. And essentially a messy but perfectionist relationship uh, therapist and single mom's life is turned right side up when her dad gets out of prison and moves in with her and her teenage son. So that that's the premise of the show. Uh, and I have to tell you, this was one of those shows where the first two episodes were, I, I, it didn't grab me. I'll put it to you that way, you know? Gotcha. Uh, it just did not grab me 100%. Kerry uh, Washington is the lead. She's the mom who is the therapist, relationship therapist, and, and it's her father uh, who gets out. And, and her father's played by Delroy Lindo. You know Delroy Lindo. He's been right. in a ton of stuff, you know, and uh, and really a terrific uh, actor. I think um, it took us. It, it by by episode three, you're going to really be into this show. It's funny and it's poignant and it's heartwarming, and I think it's a great cast. Uh, I would recommend that if you can if you can get through those first two episodes, you'll enjoy this. And then finally. I watched a couple of episodes of a show that dropped on Paramount Plus, True Lies. Yes. Remember the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis? One of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrific movie. It was from James Cameron. Yeah. Right? Yes. Well, they made it into a television show, 
Helen, a language professor, bored with her daily routine, makes the shocking discovery that her seemingly ordinary husband, Harry, is a first-class international spy for a U.S. intelligence agency, Omega Sector. With the secret out, Omega recruits Helen, who impresses everyone with her formidable skills, and she joins Harry and his team on top notch uh, of top. Uh, Harry and his team of top notch operatives embarking on uh, covert missions around the world and uh, an exhilarating life and danger adventure. The renewed bond between them adds much needed sizzle to their emotionally distant marriage and upends the top secret world of Omega Sector. Now, that? you know, Harry is played by Steve Howie. Oh. Uh, now, you may remember Steve Howie as Kevin in Shameless. Right. Which, you know, he's a terrific actor. He's really, really terrific. And I have to say, this was uh, very fun. It's an ensemble cast. Uh, and you know who else is in this is Beverly D'Angelo. Right, from Vacation. Yeah, from from the uh, from the National Lampoon Vacation movies. Yeah. She she has a a small but recurring role uh and she's terrific. She's been popping up in a lot of stuff, I have to tell you, Al John. Oh, yes, she um, has. She has. Yeah, and we've talked about her before, but um I you know, I watched the first couple episodes. It's kind of like a, you know, uh, an espionage procedural type of, you know, television show. Uh I'm enjoying it because I think it's a good cast and uh it's fun. And it seems to be, have been shot in a lot of different uh uh countries. Uh, or at least that's what they want us to believe. Uh, so uh, it's working. If 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 they're not doing that, it's it, it, they pulled the wool over my eyes. Yeah. Well, you never know these <laughs> days with you know the way they do these cyclorama kind of backdrop effects and things. You just don't, don't know how they're doing. I know <laughs> you, you can't tell anymore. You can't tell. But uh, there you have it. That's that's what I've been watching this week. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, I'm gonna get a couple things uh, out of the way that I I didn't put on the show notes, but uh, the Bad Batch uh, on Disney Plus, which is about the clone trooper. Clone Troop 99 animated series. Amazing storytelling. Um, please give that a watch if you can, if you're down with Star Wars and the animated stuff. Also, Empower, which is also on Disney+, Plus, which talks about the leading ladies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of interviews from the likes of uh, Letitia Wright from Black Panther, uh, Denai Guerrero from Black Panther, uh, Brie Larson, Captain Marvel, and uh, so many more of the female leads. Um, you know, talking about uh, the role of women uh, in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is pretty neat. Um, and speaking of women, also checked out Miley Cyrus's Endless Summer Vacation on Disney+. And for those of you, um, you know, Disney has made it a point to basically release some musical specials every single month. And um, along with the likes of the Beatles special and the Elton John live special, the Smiley Cyrus Endless Summer Vacation takes a a little bit of a dive into Miley's career and how she kind of views herself now being a more mature kind of artist. And they basically go back in this really nice um, backyard area where her band and her basically sing the tracks live and it's shot really, really well, Dave. It's shot really well. And awesome. I really like the fact that, you know, she's got the band out there and it's, you know, it's it's not unplugged, but it has that kind of more intimate vibe of how they shot uh-huh. it. 
Um, so if you're a fan of Miley Cyrus's music like I am, you know, you can check it out uh, for sure. She's uh, she's definitely quite an interesting character. And, um, of course, Picard continues to wow me on Paramount Plus. Uh, the Mandalorian, of course, once again, uh, firing on all cylinders. I think now they've finally found their legs. I think, you know, viewership has dropped off uh, with The Mandalorian. Has there, it really? Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of reasons for it, I think. Um, if you watch all the Disney Plus, like if you watch Book of Boba Fett from The Mandalorian, it's great. But you realize they took a sidestep by having res- uh, resolved the, uh, the, the Luke Skywalker cliffhanger from the previous season and yeah. put it in the book of Boba Fett. And there's a lot of this backstory of Bo-Katan um, and the armorer talking about Mandalorian history and culture in the book of Boba Fett that probably should have transitioned to this season. And when, when people just tune in and they didn't watch Boba Fett, they tune in and they're like, where's Luke Skywalker? Where's Grogu? Now they're together. How do you explain that? And you just have some little bits of dialogue to explain yeah. what happens off screen in a different show that is not called The Mandalorian. I think you lose people. Yeah. And that was such a pivotal moment for that show. And then for them to basically backdoor that into the other shoehorn that into the other show and then put out this show, you're like, I don't understand what happened to Luke and the Jedi training and all that. It's like, oh, it happened in the other show. That, that That's I, a bit confusing. It's a little bit confusing. So, um, but I think now there is, you know, it's not so confusing. They know where they're going to go. Um, is it a little bit too late, perhaps? But I think now the the storytelling will be a lot more streamlined for people to follow. So yeah. you don't have to be a casual, you know, fan to watch it now. Um, I also saw. Waco American Apocalypse on Netflix. And it's interesting when you look at this footage they uncovered that no one's ever seen before about what happened in the days leading up to Waco and what happened during those 50 plus days of them doing the standoff there with Dave Koresh. And um, it's just fascinating. If, If you're into those type of documentaries on Netflix, I would definitely look into it because it's just. Is that what this is? Is yes. it's not a it's not a, a dramatization of, no. uh, of it's an actual documentary. No, it's an actual documentary. Is, is it a series or? Yeah, it's a, a three part show. Oh, a three part yeah, show. Yeah, okay, three got part. It. What are they three four, one hour? Yeah, episodes? yeah, three forty five yeah. minute episodes. Check okay. it out on on Netflix. It's just a fascinating look if you like the true true crime uh, type documentary. Um, Kristen and I, of course, went back. You know, we talked about the M. Night Shyamalan film. Um, you know, uh, knock knock at the cabin door. Yeah. And last week, and we we just went through and said, did we see everything that M. Night Shyamalan has to offer? And we missed one. What's so that? we found the happening on Amazon, and the happening actually was released in 2008, and it stars Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, and huh. this movie is unique. It's different. And it's about basically a plague. You would think it's kind of zombie apocalypse like, and, but there's a plague going through the, through the world or through the United States. And it tells you what it's about in the very beginning. I will tell you that this is probably, it's an adaptation of a book. I will tell you that if you go back and watch it, um, it's not his best work. Yeah. I think this is probably where M night started to kind of lose his shine as a writer and director um, yeah. because this movie is just fair to Midland at best. And it's not okay. what you expect from him. So 
there's probably a reason why we didn't watch it. It's because the reviews were really bad, and we went back and saw it. And it's not for a lack of bad acting, because there's great acting. Uh, James Leguizamo was in it. Um, just the story, Walmart. though, right? It's just the story. It's just not not good adaptation. Um, and I think that uh, basically wraps up my week. Um, you know, so hopefully we get to watch John Wick this week. I hope to get to watch Dungeons and Dragons this week. Those are my two things. I hope to have a okay. good report about it next uh, next time we we record. So <laughs> excellent. All right. All right. Now it is time. Podcast this week in Disney and pop culture. April Fool's Day Hangover Edition. Dave, uh, do you do you like April Fool's Day? Do you like going down your Instagram and your Facebook posts and seeing all you the know, fake I've crap? I've never been a big April Fool's person. I mean, occasionally, every so often, I do something because, and maybe because I, I'm not a big April Fool's person. Uh, every so often, when I do do something, it has a big impact because it shocks people. <laughs> Okay, so I posted some things on my Facebook and Instagram feed about some guitars I'm releasing, and some people actually thought it was real. <laughs> so it's like, no, it is not real. It is not real. Our marketing team put that out, guys. It is not real. I do not make color changing guitars. I do not make. I don't make a woodpecker guitar that a woodpecker just went in and started, you know, beating the guitar up. I don't do that. Um, but it is amazing. I tell you what is amazing is this viral note. That we have here from Mr. Dave Batista. You know, over the past few months, I've been talking about how good Dave Batista is. And he put out this stand up comedy special promo. I've never done this before. You want to, let's, uh, let's play a little bit of it so that people hear. Dave Batista. I've never done stand up comedy before, but Netflix paid me $10 million, so. No this, is a, this is an impression I do. It's it's of my aunt Liz. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> no reaction. Scheduling <laughs> problems. Uh, knock knock. Yeah. Interrupting cow. You didn't hear that. This guy says he's fucking out. Of course, he's beating yeah, up. Just, just for our listeners, Dave Batista jumps off the uh, stage and grabs the person out of the audience. You got to watch this. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. But he, he grabs it. somebody out of the audience that tells him he sucks and uh, and beats him up on stage. Exactly. <laughs> chair on him. Exactly. You know, he, he brings his wrestling persona back uh, on stage. Fake stand-up. I've never done this before. Seek it out on Dave Batista's Twitter or Instagram. It's hilarious. Um, and, and I got to tell you something, Al John. Another reason why I think Dave Batista is such a, an asset to uh, the film world, to the acting world. I, he, not only does I think he has a lot of range, but also he's you know self-deprecating. He can he can have fun, and and, and he does it in a convincing way. It's fabulous. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. More his stock is rising every day, Dave. His stock is rising. There you go. Uh, speaking of stock rising, the let's talk box office Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, plunders fifteen point three million dollars opening day. Dave, is it uh because it's just boring as hell? 
<laughs> or is it because it went up against John Wick? You know, I think uh, it's probably, you know, uh, had the disadvantage of going up against the second weekend of John Wick. But, you know, um, uh, the box office for the weekend came in at 38.5 million in North America. And, and basically the headline is Dungeons and Dragons opens to OK. 38.5 million okay. in North America. Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't a complete disaster, uh but uh it it certainly was uh, not a big uh opening weekend that you would expect for a film like that. Let me tell you Dave, I have high expectations for Dungeons and Dragons because I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons. I played Dungeons and Dragons throughout high school as well as in college and I just love the franchise. I love the games. And yeah. to see someone uh, of the likes of a Chris Pine being the, the leader uh, of this group, I love Chris Pine. I think he's a great actor. I I just wish them all the best. I hope they, they don't let us down. Um, and then, but course, frankly, Chris, Chris Pine has been hit and miss with the movies he's picked. Sure, sure. As in, but he, he has been. I hope he, he does much better. Um, yeah. you know, because he basically leads the pack of these um, these other actors um, here. So you know, he it's on his shoulders to make this uh, a great a great film and and the filmmaker. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, John Wick, as you said, just knocking it out of the park. Of course, Creed three uh, continues to deliver. You know, reduced to a five point two million, but it's been there for five weeks. So you know, what do yeah. you expect? And then also on its heels, Scream uh, Six as well. It's five point one million. So not too bad at the box office, though. You know, John it's Wick. It's coming back. It's coming back. It certainly you know? is. Uh, we talked about John Wick being, you know, this past one, number four, being the last installment, and then all of a sudden, because of the box office draw, Dave, they decide, well, maybe number five is going to continue. Yeah, I mean, number five, you know, John Wick 5 is back on the table at Lionsgate uh, after the box office, you know, John Wick 4 blew off the, you know, blew blew up the box office last weekend. So I have to tell you, opening weekend was so huge for, for the franchise uh, that I'm not surprised that they put John Wick 5 back on the table to discuss. And I, I have to tell you, when you see John Wick four, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give any, uh, you know, I'm not gonna blow anything here. Uh, there's no spoiler alert, but at the ending of John Wick four, you can interpret it however you want to. So I think that they've kind of left it in a place where you can say, hmm, he could be, he could could come back, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I I think uh, I would love to see a John Wick five if they have a great story to tell and they do do the movie with the same group uh, as uh, John Wick four I think it would be fantastic you know same director uh, all of that yeah I think the band has to come back together to capture that lightning in a bottle if you yeah. will because yeah, I don't think question. you're going to tell the same story if they recast John Wick I think this is this is basically his Mission Impossible this is yeah. This is his his time, you know, his yeah. character. And who would have thought, Dave, that 20 years later we'd still be talking about Keanu Reeves as an action star from The Matrix? 20 right. years later, Dave. It's great. It's I unbelievable. It's fantastic. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, so as the world turns, as the Disney world turns, layoffs over several high-ranking employees during the first wave of job cuts continue, Dave. Uh, 
you know, Isaac Perlmutter, the former Marvel Entertainment chairman, gets the boot. Um, and, know, and by the way, that was not a surprise to me. No. I, you know, he's been a thorn in Bob Iger's side since they, uh, since Disney purchased Marvel. Yes. Uh, and you know, Ike uh, Perlmutter, uh, who was chairman of Marvel Entertainment, um, you know, he was trying to fire uh, Kevin Feige. Yes. And you know, and and Bob Iger before he retired, uh, stepped in and moved the Marvel studio out from underneath uh, uh, Marvel Entertainment, and and had Kevin Feige reporting into then stu- Disney Studio Chairman Alan Horn. Right. Right. So you know, to me, uh, uh, the the nail in the co- coffin for Ike Perlmutter was the fact that he was in bed with Nelson Peltz on this proxy fight that that Peltz launched against Disney. Yeah. And you know something, if you're an officer at a company and you step outside the berm with the enemy so to speak, that that's like your persona non grata. You're you're done. He knew that. You know? He knew and, that to begin uh, with. He he was, and, yeah. and 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 you know for somebody at chairman level uh, you know, chairman of Marvel Entertainment, a subsidiary of Disney of the Disney Company. Uh, you know, when you get rid of somebody like that, they step down, they resign, they whatever, they move on to something else. The you're they never get fired, you know. But in this case, he basically got laid off and and essentially fired from the company because of his behavior. 100%. And and that was that's humiliating for somebody at that level. But hey, you know what? I don't think there's anything lost uh, at Disney with them getting rid of him. But along with him, there were a number of other Marvel Entertainment executives who went out the door as well. Uh, and you know, there that was a case of redundancy. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, Marvel Entertainment uh, without the studio essentially was handling you know Marvel Comics and you know publications and merchandise yeah. and all of that can get absorbed into those other departments that handle all of those things, you right. know? So right. and Feige, uh, and Kevin Feige right now is kind of helming the creative of the entire Marvel portfolio. Exactly. So there you go. There you go. There you go. So, you know, others, and, yeah. and, 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 and the other thing about these layoffs, they are going through and they're getting rid of a lot of VPs and senior VPs. There was just too many people in the management ranks. Top heavy. And they really are thinning them down. Whereas in the past, a lot of times they would go and uh, lay off, uh, you know, the rank and file, you know, uh, people. Uh, but they're, they're, they're going through and, and cleaning out the upper echelon a little bit. Yeah, and there's a bunch of other uh, Disney people that were laid off as well. A lot of former VPs, as you said, and uh, directors, etc. But uh, Bob Iger uh, sent out a memo explaining, quote, whose positions are impacted by the company's workforce reductions, and they are expected to do two more rounds of job cuts as well. Um, February 8th, they uh, commented about uh, 7,000 jobs would be um being reduced, uh, representing a 3% reduction of the company's workforce, reducing costs by $5.5 billion. So that's yeah, a and, lot. And by the way, Al John, the Walt Disney Company has 220,000 employees yeah. worldwide. You know, so, so 
taking out seven thousand seems reasonable to me. They could probably do ten thousand, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh my my feeling is is that uh there there is no uh, there's no area of the company that's going to be um, uh, overlooked. Uh, you know, this past week it was a lot of corporate, corporate communications, uh, ABC, uh, parts of uh, ABC Entertainment. Uh, you know, the uh, this next one we had here, uh, D- Disney cuts the Metaverse division as part of the broader restructuring. They they took out the entire Meta verse group which was like 50 people yeah that's huge though i mean and and frankly i'm glad they did that Mm -hmm. they shouldn't have gotten into this everybody was using the word metaverse two years ago you know chapek oh we're gonna get into the metaverse new storytelling in the metaverse nobody knew what the heck the metaverse was right you know and how many people have 1200 dollar uh vr glasses to use in the metaverse i mean come on not you me. know, it's, yeah, it's craziness. You know, nobody knows what the heck the metaverse is, what it's going to evolve into, and if they can actually make money out of it. And I think Disney should not be in that business. They should license their content to other companies that are going to try and get into that business. Well, they're know? licensing a lot of stuff, including their own yeah. content, in order to gain some of their financial losses back. Yeah, there you so, go. There you go. Dave, you sent me this note here about the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis board being outmaneuvered in the wrangling over the Disney Special District Control, which is the Reedy Creek uh, district there. So can you uh, make heads or tails over what's going on? Because honestly, I just lost track of everything. And, and I, I got to tell you, this is just absolutely hilarious in this saga of DeSantis versus Disney yeah. in Florida. Because, yeah. you know, quite frankly, uh, I have to tell you, uh, I, I saw something on the news where DeSantis was, uh, was sta- you know, sort of defending Trump, who was just indicted. Right. And saying that, you know, this was, uh, you know, the Manhattan district attorney was weaponizing politics. Well, <laughs> guess what? DeSantis, what a hypocrite. He he weaponized politics in Florida mm-hmm. by doing what he did with Disney because Disney uh, didn't agree with him on something. Isn't there, you is know? There, is, there is nothing sacred that isn't being weaponized by one side or the other. So that's kind of like pot calling kettle. It's politics. Yeah, Everybody is calling each other out. Yeah, it, it, it's hilarious, you know. But But the bottom line is, is that for our listeners – Disney, Walt Disney World in Florida was within the Reedy Creek Special District. So it was its own little government Government entity, entity. you know, uh, that oversaw the 43 square miles of Walt Disney World property. Right. And that would be roads and infrastructure and all kinds of things, you know, what they were building and all of that. And and it was it, it was working fine for the last 50 plus years since Walt and his brother Roy put that deal in place with then back in the 60s, Republican governor uh, that was uh, in office at the time. Uh, so you fast forward, Disney speaks out about, uh, the don't say gay bill that was down in, in Florida and DeSantis, uh, turns around and weaponizes politics, uh, and tries to strip Disney of its Reedy Creek special district by dissolving it. And he put in five handpicked, uh, supervisors into, uh, a new uh, entity uh, that um, 
trying to remember the name of it. I can't even remember the name of it, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a new entity. But get this, back in February, days before the new entity was to take, uh, you know, to take over, the old entity, Reedy Creek Special District, essentially gave Disney uh, carte blanche, signed over everything to them. Uh, and I have to tell you, this is absolutely hilarious. The pact was quickly signed February 8th, the day before the state legislature passed a bill reshaping the leadership structure and changing the name of Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District. And DeSantis taking control was meant to cap off a, a retaliatory move by the Florida Republicans for the Disney opposition to the so-called don't say gay law signed in March of 2022. The new entity is the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. That's the new board, okay? Uh-huh. And uh, as it stands, the board is currently powerless beyond the ability to maintain roads and other basic infrastructure. So essentially, the old board turned over all the power it had to the Disney company. Right. And they said they've done this uh, uh, essentially with all their their T's crossed and their I's dotted. Uh, And the funniest part of this, the agreement restricting the new board's rights is, quote, in effect until 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England, living as the as of the date of this declaration. So what that really means is the uh, the death of the last survivor of King Charles's descendants as of this date is Lilibet. That's Prince Harry's daughter. She's the youngest, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's 21 years after her death. So what is she, 18 months old or a year old? Yes. Right? Yeah. So you're talking about... This agreement being in place with uh, between the old Reedy Creek uh, Special District and the Walt Disney Company, it's in effect until after Lilibeth dies, which takes you out into the 21st century. Yes. Oh, excuse me, the 20 the 22nd century. 22nd century, and then and then that doesn't she have like if she marries and has children. It, it, it further extends it because it's the family. It, 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 well, it may, but it says the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England, living living as of the date of this declaration. So that is the, <laughs> the last descendant living as of the signing of that declaration. So that would be Lilibet, the, uh, the daughter of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. Isn't that the most crazy thing you've ever heard in your life oh it, the whole thing is hilarious it's going to be interesting to see what the state of florida does uh, i mean clearly they're probably going to file a lawsuit uh and y- you know a company like disney and the amount of attorneys they have uh there this was not some willy-nilly thing that they threw together to try and pa- you know get get squeaked through this was probably extremely well researched, and and the Disney company is standing behind it, uh, you know, because uh, they've basically said, you know, we've 
we've document you know we we've dotted our i's and uh uh and and crossed our t's on this one and i i believe it i believe it i I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens uh the uh the 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 interesting thing is is that the agreement also includes restrictions borrowing barring the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District Board from using Disney's name or symbols, fanciful characters such as Mickey Mouse or Marks, among other intellectual property without written permission from the company. So that means that that Central Florida uh, Tourism Oversight District, uh, which DeSantis has put in place, they cannot use anything related to disney not even their name no. uh uh in any kind of advertising or anything nope you know so this is this is just a continuing saga uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh i'm sure we'll be talking about this uh some more in the future but right now i was i was laughing so hard at that king charles the third uh, last surviving descendant. I mean, I was just laughing that they put that in there because it's just, you know, another way of saying it's in perpetuity, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of us creative people will put these little Easter eggs and things that we do. And it's perfect for Disney that their lawyers would come up with a crazy ass Easter egg just to put in there that basically pokes the bear some more. It's like, well, you know, you know, basically that clause with King Charles the third's last descend, last surviving descendant. I mean, that's basically the company with both hands giving the finger yeah. to DeSantis and his crew. That's, that's just hilarious. I just, yeah. anyway, I know I just, there we it, have it. We don't talk politics here, but it is funny and just, fascinating you know the the types of maneuvering that these these companies and, and governments do it's just funny by the way we don't talk politics and we're not going to really talk politics but it drives me crazy when you have people pointing fingers at each other and saying well they're weaponizing this and that i mean for crying out loud all disney did was speak out against uh something that they didn't agree with that does not uh mean that uh you know the governor of florida should go and retaliate in such a way like this i mean he you know desantis did weaponize politics and is the manhattan da weaponizing politics maybe so we'll we'll find out on tuesday you know yeah. tomorrow when they uh when they unseal the uh the charges against Trump. But I mean, for crying out loud, this is all retaliation. It's, it's one party against another and they're all trying to do maneuver and, and outdo people. And guess who's the loser? The American people are the loser because they're, these folks are not focused on doing the right thing for the American people. Right. They're, this is ideological BS that right. they're trying to, you know, uh, weaponize against one another. Right. What a waste of taxpayer money. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, it, it's All right. On to more happy stuff. Well, so what is uh, interesting is that Fantastic Four movie gets a new writer with Avatar 2 scribe Josh Friedman, and he was behind WandaVision, and he's going to be helping uh, helming the feature. I just uh, find it interesting. Uh, you know, there's much to do about nothing. In, in in my opinion, because so many times these creatives that are doing movies, uh, whether it's for Disney or Paramount or whomever, you know, we'll start off a project and whatever for creative differences or for whatever the case is, they leave and another 
you know, group of creatives come in and they tweak a story or they start from scratch. Isn't that just a normal way of things, Dave? Yeah, but you know, there, there, with Fantastic Four, it seems to be a, a, a just a change of direction. It seemed like the original group that was developing Fantastic Four was taking it more in a comedic direction, and now they're going in a more dramatic direction. That's good because I I, I feel like um, I, I'm I'm wanting more of my Marvel Phase Two in my future Marvel you know uh, movies. I think they've kind of went off the deep end a little bit, you know, and they also have had a lot of struggles, especially recently with the whole news about Victoria Alonso uh, being dismissed from the company and, and other things. So I'm hoping they can write the ship and really focus on quality storytelling. Uh, and a lot of that uh, you can find in some of the Disney Plus shows early on. But uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe they've lost lost sight of some things uh, as of late. So I'm hoping they... they... By, by the way, do you know who, who you know, uh, the Fantastic Four is, you know, Reed Richards, a scientist yeah. dedicated to his work and yeah. unafraid to push the boundaries of science. Sue Storm, his girlfriend turned wife. Johnny Storm, Sue's hothead uh, and hot rod loving brother. And Ben Grimm, Richards' beefy best friend. That's the Fantastic Four, right? That's right. The, those are the character names. You know who would make a really good Reed Richards? Who? The scientist? Who? Pierce Brosnan. Oh, of course. I think he'd be terrific as as uh, Reed Richards. I have no idea who they're casting, but I will tell you uh, that with this latest uh, turn of events, they are uh, they have uh, set a release uh, date of February 14th, Valentine's Day of yeah. 2025, uh, to kick off Phase Six of the storytelling universe at Marvel. Well, that's just a few years away, gang. And yeah. I love the Fantastic Four. They are Marvel's first family, uh, one of the very first supergroups that have this family dynamic as, as part of the drama that unfolds with the with the characters and, and the story. So I really dig the Fantastic Four, and I hope they do them justice this time around. Now, more Marvel news. More Marvel news. Uh, one of my friends, uh, I say that loosely, of course, Joe Casada, the one-time editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics and XC creative uh, chief, will develop new existing comic book projects for the streamer Amazon. And I dig it. Joe Q, uh, Cup of Joe himself, has got this awesome deal. And it looks like he's going to be doing some really cool things. And I, I like Joe Casada a lot. Uh, we used to talk guitars a lot. He's a huge Gibson guitar guy. And he's an amazing artist. I love Joe's work. And um, I love the stuff he did at Marvel. So I look forward to checking him out as he kind of helms Amazon's uh, titles for the uh, Amazon stuff. Yeah, which is good. it'd be fun. Well, and I think, too, I think people understand that, that some of this uh, this Marvel stuff actually spills over uh, to Amazon because they are working a deal with Sony uh, with some of the um, Spider-Man animated shows coming to the um, streaming service, which is really cool. Well, I'm looking forward to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2. Yeah, that'll be really really good. good. That'll be really good, for sure. All right, so in our regrets for this week, we do have the Emmy Award winner and younger brother of Art Johnson, who worked on the Glen Campbell Good Time Hour and the Monkees, Colson Johnson. Uh, He passes away at the age of 91. What a long and storied career this gentleman had. Yeah, you know, he wrote for Laugh-In, uh, Sonny and Cher, uh, 
I mean, he was 91, you know, his brother passed away a couple of years ago, Artie Johnson, the comedian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's amazing how much stuff he worked on. I mean, you know, he he worked worked on so many different shows, including The Monkees, by the way. Yeah. Uh, he wrote installments for uh, The Monkees and uh, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Laughing, Sonny and Cher, The Glen Campbell, Good Time Hour. Uh, you know, he, he had a, uh, really storied, uh, life, uh, in Hollywood. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I was sad to see this, but you know what? He was 91 and he really, you know, he wrote a lot of cartoons also. I want to mention that. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of different shows, uh, with, uh, he did stuff with Mickey Mouse, Heckle and Jekyll, the Flintstones, Voltron and He-Man, and believe it or not, um, uh, he also worked on uh, Bewitched, That Girl, The Partridge Family, Good Times, Flow, Operation Petticoat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some really uh, well-known shows. And uh, on the cartoon side, uh, a lot of the episodes he wrote, uh, his brother Artie did voice work in. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, so I, I really family affair. You know what's interesting? I feel like the era from the 70s and 80s of the variety show was some of the most fun TV programming I think that was ever produced. And it really is something that has been lost in the annals of, of time and pop culture is the variety show. So Yeah, but um, don't you think like uh, America's Got Talent and, uh, um, you know, some of these other shows that are on. Yeah, talent uh, shows. Talent shows, you know, mass singer and things like that. Yeah. Those are kind of variety shows. Aren't yeah, they? I guess so. Bit. In their own right, yeah. I thought about yeah. that as well. I mean, it's just a different, different. They're kind just of thing. different. It's just, it's not, it's not the same. Not like sketch comedy, for example. Right, right. You know, but uh, you know, once again, uh, Colson Johnson, rest in peace. Uh, also, another one who's had a very prolific career, Sharon Acker, who was a, a actress at Point Blank and Perry Mason, passed away at the age of eighty-seven. Dave. Yeah, and she also did a guest turn on Star Trek. She did. Uh, you know, so uh, if you see her face, uh, you will say, I know that woman. I've seen her in a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, aside from Perry Mason, uh, she played, uh, uh, she was January 1969. Uh, Odonna. As Odonna. Yeah. A desperate woman from an overpopulated planet on the third season episode, The Mark of Gideon. Yes. Yes, I know that episode well. On Star Trek. So, you know, she was she was in a lot of stuff. And, uh, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure we gave her a shout out. Uh, oh. Yeah, for sure. You know, she, she, leaves be, she leaves behind a pretty good body of work. Absolutely. I think, you know, she had that, you know, that, that stint all the way up until the 90s uh, appearing in the young and the restless so she did have you know a really good run um yeah she, she was in the wild wild west get yeah. smart it takes a thief lancer and star trek as we mentioned very cool very cool well rest in peace sharon acker uh you will be missed and now it's onward to our interview of the week as we welcome animator and story artist steve moore on skull rock podcast let's do it Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we once again are here with a great guest. We've got uh, director, uh, storyboard artist, animator, character designer, Steve Moore. 
And uh, I have to say, welcome to the welcome, Steve, to the Skull Rock podcast. I, I honestly, I was almost going to start laughing here because there's so many different Steve Moores. So, <laughs> well, the real Steve Moore, please stand. Well, I, I hope you got the right one. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I absolutely got the right Steve Moore. And by the way, I just want our listeners to know we were joking right before we started this interview. And uh, I have to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> We were laughing because there are multiple Steve Moores in the animation business. Mm -hmm. And so Steve, this Steve Moore is somebody I've known for many, many years. But I also know another Steve Moore who is an effects animator who I worked with for many years. I, I, and then I, there's there's Steve Moore, the cartoonist, who does the In the Bleachers comic strip. And then there's another Steve Moore out there. And I don't even know what he does. Well, I have a question, though. I have a question. Simpsons. What, since you guys are, the Simpsons. That's right. Well, since okay. you guys are part of the Academy, aren't you supposed to change your name so that there isn't like like 27 Steve Moores and there's like, well, a, I'm, a I'm not in, Moore. I'm not in the uh, film Academy. Oh, okay. I've tried uh, They, they, they won't have me. Oh. <laughs> Maybe they've got <laughs> their even for the Steve Even Moore. for the Emmys, even for the Emmys, it's kind of, <laughs> but, I, you, but I, you, am, you keep I am submitting in, your, you keep submitting your application and somebody's looking <laughs> at it and go, we already have a Steve Moore in here. We don't need another. <laughs> Right, Why does this exactly. guy keep applying? He's already a member. <laughs> think, think, think he's senile or something. But uh, no, I'm. I actually, I have a, uh, I have a SAG card, and I had to use my dad's name because they had a million Steve Moores, and my, that, my dad's name is Oscar. That, uh, so uh, I said, "Do you have an Oscar Moore?" And they were, they were like, "No." So I, I, uh, I use that. I used that on a few credits for a while, but people got very confused and. Uh, and made fun of me, so I stopped. <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic because I honestly, on your IMDb page, it says alternatives names, Oscar Moore. So, yeah, now we, that now was we know where that came from. Card. All right, so we skidded <laughs> off the road there on the introduction. I, I, I do, I do want to get us back on track and say, Steve, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast, and I am looking forward to talking to you because I, I, you know, like we do with most of our guests, I want to ask you how you got into animation. How, how did you get into the business? Well, you know, like like most of us, you know, I liked to draw when I was a kid, and I was I was the funny kid. You know, I, I learned from probably when I was about four years old that I could make people laugh. You know, I, I <laughs> tell you a story. I, I found my parents had a mom's Mabley record. Have you heard of mom's Mabley? No. She, she was an old comedian from back in the day. And, and um, she, she was an old black woman. And she had this voice like this. And she told <laughs> racy, racy gag. So she had a record of this and me and my brother would listen to it. And we just heard this voice and, so we started imitating the voice and, and we learned the mom's Mabley's routines. And I was like four years old and I'm going downstairs and over dinner, I'm doing mom's Mabley for my parents. And, and <laughs> my dad's laughing. My mom's mortified. <laughs> she hides the record. But then, uh, you know, I go to the relative's house and they're all, Hey, do mom's Mabley for me. You know? And, and then, and then, you know, you see adults laughing and, and it's like, Oh, I like this. And, that went to being, you know, making kids laugh in school and, and then, and then, you know, liking to draw cartoons and, you know, for me, it was always the gags. And, uh, uh, I always thought I wanted to do comics and then later mad magazine. And then one day, I don't know, I was in sixth or seventh grade and in, in the school library, 
at old St. Mary Magdalene School in Millville, they had a, a encyclopedia article from like the 50s. And it was how animated cartoons are made. And it was going through Warner Brothers. And it was, um, they were showing Bugs Bunny, a Bugs Bunny short in the process. And they're showing these guys at desks drawing. And then they're showing the ink and painters. And they're showing the, 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 the camera and the Oxbury camera. And, and I just remember it just like, wow, like I want to do this. And that stuck with me. And I, I had a teacher, Mr. Carl in seventh grade, who told me, how I could do actually do animation using an eight millimeter film camera where you just pull the trigger for a little bit and pull the trigger a little bit advanced. And I tried some things with that. And, and right around that same time, PBS ran uh, Monty Python and the Holy grail. And it had all that Terry Gilliam cutout animation. And then that was, that was it for me. It was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And, and uh, sometime I don't know. I was like around 14, 15. They had an article in Atlantic City Press about California Institute of the Arts. And there was a picture of Eric Larson in the paper. I didn't know who he was, but he was this old guy. And they were teaching teaching animators how to, how to young people how to animate. And because the Disney people were all retiring. And, and um, so I cut that article out and I saved it. And then about my junior year cut to a few years later and they had a science fair up in Philadelphia and on the list of schools represented, there was California Institute of the Arts. And I told my mom, I wanted to go see this place. And, and uh, I went with a, my, my buddy, uh, Barry Hummel, his mom took us up there for the day. And, and I spent the entire time just talking to the Cal arts recruiter and it was the only school I applied to. I didn't know how to draw, but I made a little eight millimeter film with a bunch of gags in it. And I guess, you know, Jack Hanna, who ran a department at the time, he thought it was, had potential enough and he, he let me in. So that was what beginning of fall of 81. Did, now, did you actually know who Jack Hanna was when you came to the school? I did. I knew his name. But see, you know, back then you couldn't Google people. You didn't, you know, yeah. and there were very few anim- books about animation. So most of what I knew about the people who did animation was looking at credits. Yeah. And I remember the name Jack Hanna from the Wonderful World of Disney when they would show shorts and it, it, his name would pop by for a second. On, on a Donald Duck or a, a Chippendale yeah. short. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Jack did all those. And and uh, what was the, the bear's name? Um Oh, Humphreys the Bear? Was it Humphrey the Bear? Yeah. He, yeah, Humphrey the Bear. He voiced Humphrey the Bear as well as, you know, directed it. So you're like, oh, oh this is like a famous person. And and Teehee, I'd heard of Teehee. And um, the the rest of the people, I didn't know who they were. But, I, you know, I quickly got an education because uh, my roommate was Dan Jupe. And he knew everything about Disney. I don't know how he knew all this stuff. He... He had befriended um, Eric Larson before he even got to school. And yeah. the time he was there, he was an accomplished animator in his own right. I mean, he was doing professional level work. And so I just, I learned as much from him really as I did from the teachers I had there. And, and, and of course, you know, all the people, well, you were there at the time. I mean, you know, we had some, some amazing talented people at that time 
just, you know, I, I have to say when I, when I look back and I'm sure you're the same way, Steve, when I look back at my Cal arts days, I, I'm kind of awestruck that we had these people knowing what we know today mm-hmm. with all that's been written since and the, the av- availability of, of being able to Google somebody on the, and, and find out everything you can about them. Uh, I, I'm just really blown away that we had Jack Hanna and T he and Bob McCray and uh, Elmer Plummer. Uh, Plummer for life drawing. And we had Bill Moore as a design teacher. And it was a Ken O'Connor that was doing uh layout. Uh, yeah. I didn't have him. That was your, I think you had, I think he was, I think it was the year before me. He was there. Yeah. Uh, before I got there, I, I'm not sure. He might've still been there when I was there my first year in 1980, but it, it's pretty, pretty incredible when you think about the, the level of, uh, of, the caliber of talent, the level of talent that that was there. And amazing about those guys is they all worked with Walt Disney. Yeah. Personally, you know, it was, it, you had a first, you know, you talk about the degrees of separation, you know what I mean? It was, they were all one degree from, from Walt and, and depending on where they were on the, on the ladder, you know, and the, on the, in the pecking order at Disney, they had either, either loving stories of Walt or they were terrified of him. You know, it was kind of funny <laughs> or somewhere in between or somewhere in between. Yeah. 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 You know, but some, somebody like Jack Hanna, because he was directing so many shorts. I mean, he interacted with Walt all the time. Oh yeah. You know, and T he, uh, you know, on the early features and yeah, I mean, well, it's just well, Elmer Plummer was friends, like personal friends with him. He was yeah. very, very proud of that. And yeah, he, he used, he told this story once and, it, it was, it was a really heartbreaking story because he, he would sit in his office at lunchtime and, and I got, so I'd go in there and just talk to him, you know, and, and he told me about how the last time he saw Walt alive and uh, he said he knew they were, he was really sick. Everybody knew he was sick. He was, he had been in, at uh, St. Joe's across the street in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. He'd already had one lung removed. Yeah. Or uh, I think he had half a lung removed. Oh, did he have half? Yeah, a lung? It, was, it was half a lung because John Wayne sent him a note saying, welcome to the club. <laughs> because John Wayne had had part of a lung removed. Dang, heck of a club. But I know. Well, anyway, but he, was, he had been in a hospital and he said one day he's coming, walking down the hallway and coming the other way. Here's Walt and he's barefoot. He's all dressed in his suit and he's barefoot. And he's like, Walt, well, what's what's going on? Why? why are you barefoot? And he says, those sons of bitches, they hid my shoes on me. And he had gotten himself up, gotten dressed and left the hospital, crossed the street. Can you imagine being at the stoplight <laughs> at Buena Vista street? And here comes barefoot Walt Disney walking across the street. He went in his studio because he had something that he wanted to go over with somebody there. And I wish I could remember who that person was, but it didn't register at the time. Wow. But, uh, but he left Walt, and he 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 left Walt, and and uh, or Walt left him, and he went into somebody's office, and he goes. A few minutes later, here comes a couple orderlies, and they've got his shoes, and they go and they find Walt, and they could hear Walt cussing at them, and and he said they made him put his sho- made him put his shoes on and go back, and he said, he sees he sees uh, Walt coming back, and he last thing he says to him is Elmer, if you ever get sick. 
don't go to a hospital. Just go somewhere and die. <laughs> wow, what a story. Yeah, you know, he, I, I have to tell you, don't you wish you had a tape recorder or at least, yes. you know, like back in those days, I mean, like today, you know, we all walk around with these, uh, you know, uh, cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, we have smartphones and, you know, I don't know about you, but I have an iPhone and and it has a recording, uh, uh, you know, app on it. And so I, you know, you know, in recent years, I'll be talking to somebody. I say, oh, hold on a second. Let me record this if you don't mind. And I record them mm-hmm. because they're telling some cool story. Mm-hmm. You know, and I want to capture that. And I I just wish we had those kinds of devices. You know, I mean, certainly there were cassette tape recorders and whatnot back in those days. But, you know, none of us really thought to, uh, you know, record some of those interviews. I mean, I when I first started at Disney, I mean, I was I was seeing Claude Coates almost on a weekly basis in the uh, Imagineering commissary for like a year and a half and chatting with him. I wish I had recorded those, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, at the time, I don't know. I think when, when I was younger, it was just, it was just like, yeah, these guys are just going to live forever. You know, <laughs> we're all going to live forever. And yeah. We, we all think that, right. You know, now, now let me ask you something. You, did you grow up in Georgia or, or California? Where New Jersey, South Jersey, South Jersey. South, I just sound like I'm from Georgia. I, I, no, I thought you said, <laughs> I thought you said something about Atlanta. Atlantic city. Oh, Atlantic City. Okay, gotcha. It was, yeah, right. Atlantic it was the Atlantic City, City newspaper. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So you grew up uh, gambling on the boardwalk. Yeah, <laughs> they started that. I was. I think I was in high school when they started that. Um. So you know, you 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 get out to Cal Arts and you have all these fantastic teachers. Did you did you stay in the program for the full four years or did you oh, get yeah. out? Okay. Well, pa- yeah. Well, I got. Lucky in my, what was it, in my third and fourth years, I got uh, the Disney scholarships. So, Good. you know, it was, it was a, you know, a full, full scholarship ride. And that's, that, that's the only way I could swing it. I mean, th- at the time it was, I'd go to do the school. And then in the summer times, I'd go back to New Jersey and work in the glass factories for the summer, make some money. Now, what kind of glass factory was it? They had, it, it was a big glass manufacturing uh, area back in the day. And they, they would, they would um, ha- like beer bottles, um, stemware. Um, so this was gla- like, this was like a really automated glass factory. Yeah. It wasn't like hand art. It wasn't artisan hand blown glass. No, 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 the, no, no, the, no. This is like machine blown glass into molds, right? Yeah. This is like, my job was like, Lucy in the chocolate factory, except it was, <laughs> it was hot glass bottles coming down. And, and yeah, if you didn't keep up, they'd go to the end and they'd, and they'd fall off and they'd crash. And oh, that was a bad thing. <laughs> so don't do that. It's a young Steven there in the factory trying to put all the goblets in his uh, little apron. There. I, uh, now yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I'm curious if uh, every so often a, a glass would, you know, a bottle would fall off the end and break. Right. Well, what they had at the end was they had a thing that caught them. Right. And, you know, they could break if it caught them. And it, and then a conveyor belt would take them back and they'd remelt them and start that's over. What I, okay. That's what I was going to ask you is that if, if, a, if a bottle broke, they could actually recycle that right there at the yeah. plant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
And, yeah. and they, so they made, they made what kind of bottles like Coke bottles and beer bottles. It was all kinds of bottles. Well, you know, it depend on the day. Some days you'd be making these Brown beer bottles and other days, um, you know, you'd, you'd, they'd had different, different, uh, what do they call them? The, 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 the tears, the leers, I forget what they call yeah, them. Different leaders, and they probably had different tooling for for all that stuff. Every yeah, so some of them would be run. specifically for um, like I did corningware one time. Uh-huh. Um, one night, one night they had me in this area where I, I they they wanted me to to cover for somebody who was out sick, and they were they were inspecting the stemware. And you had to climb under the machine, under the conveyor belt, where the things were going by. And there was this little area where there was just a stool to sit in. And they gave you goggles and they gave you a a dust brush and a hammer. And you watch for the, the, the cup part to meet the stem part. And then this flame would come out and they'd spin and they'd, and they'd stick together in theory. And that's how they got the stem wire all together. So these two two elements were coming together to make one thing. But where they'd come together, every once in a while, they'd be off. And if they were off, you had to take the hammer and really quickly smash it and brush it out. <laughs> 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 and I did that for eight hours one night. So they're waiting, 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 and then push, real fast. <laughs> Wow, you know, you know something. I, we we could probably do an entire show with sound bites of our past guests telling us about crazy jobs they had, Weird jobs. summer jobs to go through college. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. I'm sorry. Exactly. Before before we move on, and I know we're going down this rabbit hole, Stephen, but <laughs> I, I look at I look at Laverne and Shirley, Shamil Schmazel, Awesome yeah. Incorporated, and you see the little beer bottle going with a little <laughs> the right. little club, and I'm like, that's you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but, sorry. but you know, I did that for work, but I, I had, awesome. I had those scholarships came through and, you know, that kind of work wasn't enough to cover the tuition. I mean, it was, sure. I mean, it's very expensive now. It was expensive then for the time. And it's and, all and, relative. It, it really is. It's all relative. What what we paid dollar amount wise may be a lot less than what the tuition is today, but it was still the same hardship yeah. that yeah. students are experiencing today. But, I mean, I, I was very glad um, that I got to, when I was a senior, they were having a thing. Remember they made, they made the new apartments, the then new apartments at the, at the school. Yeah. That was uh Chenard hall. Chenard hall. Yes. And yeah, they, we, um, we called it the love boat because it looked like a big cruise liner <laughs> docked against the uh, hillside. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they had, Oh, is that the reason? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the reasons. <laughs> they, uh, they had a, a, a reception and they had um, a bunch of the, um, the uh, uh, trustees were there and Diane Disney was there and, um, and I remember there were a bunch of us there, like like Diane Disney. We should go talk to Diane Disney. And then we're all, well, what do we say to Diane Disney? I mean, it's Walt's daughter for crying out loud. I don't make a fool of myself. And and so, you know, I'd I'd already had a couple glasses of wine, so I was feeling pretty courageous. So I went over and and I put my hand out and I I said, I said, Miss Disney, I I just wanted to meet you. I said, told her my name and I said that uh and I thanked her for the for the scholarship money. Uh, I said, I'm I'm I only got to do this the last two years because of Disney scholarship money. And she was so happy to meet me. She said, cause you know, usually they don't meet the people, the recipients of these yeah. things. So, 
And then, you know, now she's, she's no longer with us. So I, I was really happy that I got to, got to meet her and, and, and tell her that at the time and, and, uh, you know, let her know how much that meant. And, and, uh, and, and, and you know, something I know she appreciated that. I, I absolutely know that, that, you know, uh, folks like that, that, that are, you know, huge supporters of the school, they do appreciate hearing back from the people that, uh, you know, their dollars are helping. I could, I could tell her by, by the way she responded. It was very, yeah. very genuine. And she, you know, she, she, she seemed like a very, very nice woman. Yeah. And she could be tough as nails as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you have to be, I, I think you have to be in that environment, right? Yeah. You know, so, 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 you know, uh, you're at Cal arts, you, you finish your fourth year. What do you do when you get out, when you graduate? Well, well, let's see. After my third year, I tried to look for work. I stayed the first year. I didn't go back to Jersey. I stayed in the summer and I couldn't, nobody wanted me because you know, they, they'd all Deke remember Deke. Oh yeah. Yeah. At the time they had hired their summer people already. And, and I wasn't one of them. And, and uh, I had a heck of a time finding where I was, I went for like three or four months without work and it got to be August and I was almost out of money. I had like $72 left yeah. and I didn't want to call home and tell them that I, yeah, I had failed at this thing that I was trying here. And um, cause I, I, I think people were expecting me to, you know, they didn't have a high expectation, you know, people from South Jersey don't go to California and become an animator and work at Disney. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's also that, Oh, you're going to do that. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. You know, yeah, and and in the back of their mind, they're like, "I'll oh, wait for him to come crawling back. He'll he'll you be know? back. He'll be yeah. back. Keep, don't 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 get rid of his his bed yet." <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so I was I was toughing it out there and and uh, being real thrifty with you know buying uh, tomato soup and craft macaroni and cheese and. Uh, you know. I mean, I again, here's another episode. We could do an entire episode talking about all the different th- ways to make the craft uh, <laughs> macaroni and cheese, which at the time when I was getting it at the Alpha Beta, which no longer exists anymore, it was 19 cents a box. 19, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, if you, re- if you remember. Stuff, it yeah. was cheap. It was yeah. very and cheap. I, and and we, we'd make up the, the box of macaroni and cheese and then we'd dump a can of tuna into it or we'd dump a can of green beans into it, mix ah, it up, and that well, was dinner. Well, you, know? you were living large. Oh, he was living large. <laughs> you know, that was a college staple for me too, just so you know. But I added hot dogs for an extra extra oomph. Wow. wow. <laughs> Whole recipe book. On there you go. That's you know right. something? I honestly think that, that that would be a great idea. And we're hatching it right here for our listeners. <laughs> I think we could do a macaroni and cheese uh, cookbook uh, with all the various ways to make macaroni and cheese. A, a Kraft mac and cheese recipe for every day of the year. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> There'd yeah. be 364. I, I ate so much of that when I was at CalArts. I, I mean, honestly, it's... I <laughs> still like it though that's the surprising thing <laughs> oh i tried it years later i couldn't do it i couldn't do it i i guess it just put me back there being being that poor it was a combination it. of that and and we'd keep an eye out for the new the art show openings and yes and some of the kids they'd have a good spread out there and we'd go yes. Have our dinner, have hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, it's still the same way at CalArts. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I was at the time I was, I was out of money. I, I, I couldn't pay the, the rent at Cal arts was because uh, Butch Hartman was my roommate and he yeah. was there and it was uh, $75 a month to stay to school. I had 74 bucks left or 72. I forget something like this. I didn't have they, enough. To cover did they the let it slide? I remember Liz McCall down in the office. Yeah. 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 She had a Scottish accent. And I said, Liz, I, I, I don't have enough. I can't pay you. And she says, oh, don't worry about it. Pay me when you can. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Liz. You know, I love you. And she, uh, she was such a lovely lady. And, and, and then like that night, Kenny Tompkins comes back from, he was, staying at the dorms and I was hanging out with Carlos Baeza. They had, oh that, yeah. They had yeah, that room Ken, right off. The well, pool. you know, Car- Carlos and Kenny and, um, uh, Johnson, uh, Ray Johnson, Ray yeah. Johnson, the sauce brothers and sauce brothers. Yeah. They the had sauce that room brothers. right off. Yeah, the pool down there. yeah. And I was hanging out with those guys and Ken came home. He had been working at Deke for the summer and, I told him my story about, you know, he's being, being broken. He had this scene. He said, well, I got a scene I brought home. I was going to do for some extra scratch. He says, you know, you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He goes, well, I need it by the morning. So I went up in my room. It's now like six, six thirty at night. And I worked all night till like four in the morning. And then I slid it under his door. And I don't know, about a week later, I got a check and it was like for, I got, had like 195 bucks. I thought I was rich. Wow. And went and got some groceries, paid my rent and had some money left over for a little, uh, generic gin. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of uh, craft macaroni and cheese boxes. That's for yeah, sure. Well, you know, you I, fill a whole grocery bag, you know, and then some, <laughs> I probably went with Stouffer's lasagna that week. <laughs> Living large, huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> So that was your first, that was like the first thing you did in animation where you got paid. Yeah. It was yeah. a free, a, a freelance scene that the Cadillac cats on Deke, at okay. Deke and they yeah. didn't even know I did it. So, and then uh, I was, it was like a cleanup or in between job. Uh-huh. And then I got a job. I did a commercial for film fair where I was in between, in betweening um, Phil Monroe, he was a, he was one of Chuck Jones's animators He uh-huh. animated this thing. Yeah. And uh, it do was, you like remember, four, what, do you remember what the commercial was? Yeah. For uh licorice pizza. Oh, wow. Okay. Remember licorice pizza. Yeah. Was a record, the record, record store record back store. in the day. Yeah. And there were like 30 people walking out of this store and they wanted it in that Blackman style kind of thing with the nervous line. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a heck of a time with that because, you know, they wanted the brakes all consistent and, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenging, challenging thing to do. And, and for me anyway, and at the time, and, but, you know, again, I made a little bit of money and then I got a job on this thing called star chaser, the legend of Orin. And it was another in-betweening job. It was for me, Han. And that's where I first met Bill Croyer. Okay. And I, and, and Sue, she wasn't working on it, but I met, I'd met her through that. And then, um, geez, there were a lot of people starting out there. Eric Piggers, that was his first gig. I was going to uh, say, I, I know that this, this movie has popped up as a first for a number of people. Did, did Dan Jupe work with you on this? I don't remember him being there. No. I think Greg Manwaring was there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris Bailey was there. Um, Craig Clark was working on it. 
um, of course, he had, he had a lot of experience before that. Uh, but um, I think Chris Wall may have been working there. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a there was a lot of Cal Archins uh, that that got hired onto that yeah. project. Yeah. So that was, and then then, then from there, it just kind of you know. Well, you went on to Brave Little Toaster. Eventually, yeah. Well, that, then I, that was my senior year. I was working on on Star Chaser. And then it got to be the second semester and I decided, well, you know, I'm going to do my senior film. And I stopped working and I did my film. And then, um, then I know, then it was sport goofy. I got on sport goofy and then the brave little toaster. But sport goofy came out after brave little toaster. Yeah. Sport goofy was, was a big project. Yeah. Brave little toaster was 87 and sport goofy was also 87. Yeah. But the order of working on it was I worked on it during the spring of 85. And then by the summer of 85, I was on toaster and you know, again, a whole bunch of us Cal Arts people were on Toaster. It was Kirk Wise and Kevin Lima and yeah. Rob. Well, Rob, Rob did some design work, I think, on it. Um, you know, what, do you remember, what, what, what do you remember about working on Toaster? Uh, was it just that it was a first gig for you, or a first feature, really? That Even was, though you worked on Star Chaser, but the, you know, it's like you, you, Toaster was. Toaster was like the first good thing I worked on. Yeah, that's like I guess that's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> this is this is like, and we and we knew it at the time, and we were very excited about it, and and uh, so we were just we were just really into it, and it was, and the crew really came together, and it, you know, it was it was a fun crew, and it was weird, you know, the pre production, and we were in this this. Uh, rat infested building in, in, uh, Hollywood. It was, uh-huh. it was off of, um, Santa Monica and McCadden next to the uh, unemployment office. Oh, a real charming neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a little <laughs> rough around there. And, and, <laughs> and we had, uh, the front, the first floor of this place was, um, it was some kind of, uh, uh, pornography production office or, or, you know, studio or something. Cause there'd be all these, all these, uh, quote actresses, you know, hanging out in the stairs waiting to go in and, and they'd be all dressed, you know, real provocatively, like for their, whatever auditions they were going to do in there. And we, and we'd be walking trying to walk around them going up the stairs to animate our toasters and our blankies. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, there, there's got to be some kind of connection between animation and adult films because I, my, one of my first jobs I had uh, was I was working on some video games for Don Bluth over in studio city and we were put into an annex. So we weren't in the main studio building. We we're in a building uh, like a half a block down uh, and we were on we were in some offices on the second floor of this building and right across the hall from us was a casting agency for adult films. Mm-hmm. And so there was just all of these uh, scantily clad women coming in and out all day long, mm-hmm. you know, dropping resumes off doing, you know, ha- being photographed nude uh, as part of their audition 
And uh, I mean, it was just craziness. I, I don't it's, want to detract from probably, your story, but I had to interject. It's probably, that. It's probably about the cheap rent, you know, That's exactly it must be, it must be. Yeah. You know, cause they always, always seemed like we, for years, I mean, I, I, you know, you think, you see pictures of like the old Disney guys and they were in these nice offices, you know, yeah. and, and it just looked very professional and everything I worked on for years and years was in these little dumps, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, what happened to those days where they had nice offices and yeah, but yeah, but over at Warner brothers, they had termite terrace. Yes. You know? Yes. So, this, this is true. So, so that speaks to again, crappy offices. You know? so, so I guess Disney studios was the anomaly as far as that. Yeah, well, after, after they moved into the studio uh, in Burbank, because you know, the Hyperion studio was just a hodgepodge. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I understand it was, it yeah. was like, old apartment building or something, but yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but toaster, I mean, there'd be, you would, there were rats in the building. I mean, they, they were just, <laughs> we had, we had one, we set a trap and I came in one morning and the trap had been turned over and there was a trail of blood going across the room Ugh. and there's the trap, but no rat. Yikes. So we're like, Oh, shit, there's a wounded rat around here. I hope he's dead. <laughs> right. And I'm the first one in and I'm looking around, I'm looking around and here's this rat and he's behind Rebecca Reese had a desk back in the corner and this rat is behind the trash can and it's still alive. And it's like, Oh, shit. you know, what do we do? And so, you know, Kirk Y shows up, Kevin Lima, Rebecca, and we're all standing around like, what do we do? And at some point, somebody grabs the trash can and this rat starts running all over the room and people are jumping up and down, you know, cause this thing's going Screaming. between people's legs and, and somehow somebody got that trash can on top of the rat and he was underneath this thing and uh, finally came and got somebody, you know, one of the building people to come and take it. I think he just put it outside in the dumpster. It probably came back the next day once it felt better, but, um, Jeez. but these were, these were like, these were like Arnold Schwarzenegger rats. They were just big, tough, nasty, you know. Rebecca had Tupperware to keep. Because we'd have snacks. And first you find they got into the little bag of snacks. And she had Tupperware. And this thing gnawed through the Tupperware to get to her <laughs> snacks. Oh, my. These, oh, my. <laughs> these were like New York rats. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> New York rats, which are bigger than cats. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. This thing was gigantic. Oh, my gosh. So uh, what was it like working on Brave Little Toaster? Well, like I say I, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed. That was one of the most enjoyable productions uh, as far as um, creative satisfaction goes. Cause, cause you know, I was learning, I was, I was getting better all the time. And then going to Taiwan, that was a whole other experience. You know, worked for six months out there animating and we were doing 30 feet a week. We're supposed to be, I mean, I was hitting probably 25 to 30. And so wow. you, you learn you learned how to think economically, you know, and think, um, you know, you get it across clearly and you don't spend a whole lot of time fussing around with things. And, uh, cause you know, even that you'd get one or two takes and that was it. I mean, uh, there, there weren't a lot of retakes either unless there was some technically wrong with it. So, right. you know, it was, it was a great learning experience just because we were moving so fast and, and, you know, I had, I had, you know, 
Jerry Reese was just the best director as far as he knew what he wanted. He knew what, but he was really good about letting you bring something to it, you know, and he's very uh, collaborative. Exactly. Collaborative. That's the word. And, 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 and and in a way that was like, yeah, it's, it's not exactly how he would do it, but he appreciated somebody bringing what they, what they have to it. And as long as it, delivered what was supposed to be delivered and then yeah why 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 just make it the way you would do it you know yeah so i you know that carried over for me into when i got directing and 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 how i approached that as well because um but yeah that that film just had a a massive impact on on me uh, professionally and 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 kind of the trajectory of my career for years after that well i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was a really quality production and you had some really great people working there right was, i mean it was quality in spite of the circumstances because yeah. i say we were in taiwan where they had never made this kind of a feature before they were yeah. hanna barbera's outsource company right and so we were there I, we were hired basically to kind of teach them. And so we had their best animators and some of these guys were really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. They could bring it. And uh, so it was fun to work with them and, 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 you know, and the translators and all that. I mean, it was crazy, crazy intense work. I mean, you know, talk about 50, 60 hour weeks there busting our butts, but, but we loved it. Who 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 was the uh, uh, production company? Was it Hyperion? It was or? a combination of Hyperion and um, it was. So Peter it was Tom Locke. Tom Tom Wilhite. Yeah, it was Tom Wilhite and Peter yeah. Locke and um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his name, but they um, they they called it BLT Ventures. Okay, and. Um, it was kind of a one-off kind of situation. Sure. Sure. And well, this is why that film today, you can't, it's, they're not showing it anywhere because the rights are all, you know, apparently it's all screwy now. So we, you can't even see this on a streaming service. No, really? No. I mean, it's, That's been, crazy. Out on, it's been out on DVD, but Disney channel and Disney plus they'll show the, the sequels. But to my knowledge, they don't, they don't ever show the original because I say the rights are the rights are in some weird, weird uh, limbo. Wow. Yeah. That's I crazy. I show that you can only get it on DVD, but you can't stream it anywhere. Donald Kushner. That was the other producer's name. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. And then uh, talk about sport goofy in soccer mania. <laughs> that who, was who, uh, who directed that. That was Daryl Van Sitters. Oh, so that was the, that was the sport goofy. Yeah. Okay. Sport goofy was, that was, that was the infamous, the infamous sport goofy, uh, (laughs) featurette. We we thought it, we thought it was the bee's knees at the time, but you know, we were these kids and we were getting to play with Donald or uh, not Donald Duck, uh, uh, goofy and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was very exciting. It's like, we're, we're getting to fool around with these old characters, but, um, we didn't really know what we were doing. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it kind of, it kind of came out looking like a, a very expensive student film, but you know, yeah. Unfortunately. And that was it. That was it. And then they didn't, you know, they didn't like it. Disney didn't like it. And they, they recut it and they retried to, I guess Ward Kimball came in and they tried to 
<laughs> I, yeah, I, I had heard some funny stories about what Ward said. Yeah, about you know because they were asking what they what 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 they should do with it, and he suggested that they take it out back and bury it. <laughs> like, dig a hole and bury it somewhere <laughs> well it wasn't as bad as poo sticks you know do you remember that uh, one no i don't it was winnie the pooh and was it called winnie the pooh and the poo sticks or something like that it was it was this thing that they did through uh rick reiner and i knew a lot of the guys i was still uh, i was like a sophomore i think at the time and a lot of guys at school were were picking up freelance on that and and that was that was really really un, unwatchable. But we're, <laughs> we're goofy, you know. God bless but, it. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it is kind of crazy. But but you know what? All of those projects help shape your early, you know, the your early career. Oh yeah. You know, you you kind of have a range. You know, you you work on things and you go, yeah, okay, that was really bad. But, you know, I was proud of what I did. You know, (laughs) I mean, you know, I always I always laugh when I'm talking with somebody and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you worked on that. Well, you know, yeah, I I mean, I was proud of what I did, but it was not a great movie, you know, or it was. I I, I can't say I'm particularly proud of what I did on Sport Goofy, but I I got to work on it. And, and, you know, Daryl, Daryl had this thing when you walked in, they had the wall of shame. (laughs) <laughs> and they would take bad drawings and they would pin them up on the wall uh, and you'd go in cause it was all freelance, you know, right. you'd go in every week and hope that you weren't on the wall of shame. And <laughs> I ended up on there more often than I'd like to admit, but <laughs> God, that's so crazy. My gosh. And then from there, what you, you, I'm, I'm looking at your credits. You did something called Kathy's last resort, which was a TV movie. It was it was a TV special. It was you remember Kathy from the from the uh, comics. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. That was that was one of those gigs that was just you know I need work because when you get out of school now you got bills. That was that was kind of the frightening reality once I got out. Cause right, and you're renting an apartment. And renting an got, apartment. You got monthly. You got a monthly overhead. You're paying utilities. It's all this stuff mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with at Cal Arts and yeah. And, and I'm alone. I'm not, you know, I don't have a hallway full of my peers that right. you can go hang out with. And and so, yeah, you're out there working. And, and that was a time when um, that was through Bill Melendez production. So what was cool about that was meeting Bill Melendez, you know, you yeah. peek in an office and like, wow, that's Bill Melendez. And yeah. Yeah. He animated Snoopy and continues to animate Snoopy. I remember going in, they, they had a house down on Larchmont in Hollywood uh-huh. that they were working out of. And you go in and, and it just had a million Emmys stacked up against the wall over there. I mean, they were just, you know, they were just all willy nilly. He had so many of them, he had a place to put them, but, um, um, but that was not, you know, that was, that <laughs> Daryl Rooney said when I was working on that, cause he was working on it too. And complaining about the the style of the cartoon character. And uh, he said, well, it would help if you broke your wrist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's great. But so and and then you went on to back to Neverland, which Jerry did. Yep, back with Jerry. Yeah. Now, now, was that through Disney animation? That was done at Bob Rogers and company. Okay. And he had a setup on Victory Boulevard in Burbank. And um, 
he brought, I guess he brought Jerry in. I forget how Jerry got connected with it, but then Jerry hired me and, and uh, Tom Enriquez. And I think Daryl Rooney, I think he was there too. And, and we sat initially in a conference room where it was kind of like, they shut the door and nobody can leave until we have this thing working. <laughs> so we just, we were jamming ideas for like a week and just coming up with what would become the back to Neverland story. And uh, I remember uh, Peter Schneider and Charlie Fink coming in. I had never met these guys and they were fairly new at the studio. These New York guys who came from theater and were remember that time when, when, oh, uh, oh yeah. That was the new thing at the studio when yeah. Eisner took over and um, they came in and they just proceeded to yell at us, like, yeah. like yelling at us, like really loud. And, and yeah. it was the first time, like, cause in animation, you, you know, people generally don't yell. <laughs> it's but not- I, think, I think early on when Peter Schneider came in uh, as the head of Disney animation, uh, I, you know, it, it, there were legendary uh, moments where, you know, he would have a, a one veiner or a two veiner uh, <laughs> in, in describing his, 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 how he screamed, yes. you know, yes. and, and then, and then over time he started to mellow out. He kind of yeah, got well. into the groove of, of the animation world. <laughs> But that was just like shocking to me. Like, it, like, why, why are you guys yelling at us? We, we can hear you perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. You don't geez. agree with what we're doing, but you know, there was a lot of that went on initially. And then, and then, you know, Jerry stuck it out with them and, and, and stuck up for what we were doing and, and got it through. Cause they, they didn't want Robin Williams cause Robin Williams was not Disney. They didn't want Robin to be a little lost boy because Disney didn't do uh, human characters. They were make him an animal. You know, that was uh, their right. Name. And it's like, well, see, it's Peter Pan. See, and it's the, they were doing the Peter Pan. We, we turn him into a little lost boy. And it's yeah. and there's the Captain Hook scene happens later. Back to Neverland, you know, but they, they weren't quite they weren't quite in that groove. No, no, they they yeah. really didn't know the history of these films or the stories yeah. of them. And so anyway, um, you know, eventually they got Robin and and um one of one of my proudest things in that one was I got a gag in there that I thought they would never go for, where Robin is turning into all he 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 becomes a cartoon, they turn him into a cartoon, and now he's animated and he's a pencil test. Yeah. And he's saying, I can be anything. And Walter Cronkite says, you can be anything you want. He goes, can I be this? And can I be this? And he's like vamping different things. And so we had to come up with all these different gags, what he could be. And and one of my gags was he turns into Mickey Mouse and he goes, I'm a corporate symbol. And (laughs) and (laughs) thinking they'll never go for that. But here it is. And uh, they came through with Robin Williams and Jerry pitched that and he laughed out loud at it. Robin did. That's great. That's how we got to keep it because Robin laughed, and yeah. uh, and so it's it's in the it's in the final thing now, and and uh, it's kind of like yeah we got one thank you Robin, but but you know it was it was so cool to get to work with him and and you know he was he was just so humble around us you know we were flipping scenes for him at one point and yeah. and he was just he, you could see he was moved by you know this was his his character that's animating and he just. Yeah. He just thought it was really moving that all these artists were working on on him. Yeah. 
It, it, you know, it, 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 it's amazing when I look over all of your credits, you, you've got a, a sort of a tremendous diversity. Uh, yeah, well, it, that's kind of out of necessity. You know, it's 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 been and, all over the map, really. Yeah. And I actually thought you worked at Disney feature animation for a little bit, a little bit. I was and there. You for, did. You did Cranium Command, and I. Well, I worked there. Well, I worked on. There were two versions of Cranium Command. Right. I worked on both of them. I'm the one guy I got the work. <laughs> there was one that was being done at Colossal in in San Francisco. Right. And Disney hated that, or uh, WDI. They hated it, and they they trashed it. And they, again, they brought Jerry on. And Jerry had me come in and do some stop motion animation. I got to do some of them, finally, some of that Terry Gilliam kind of paper animation and where I, I did the cutouts and I did it underneath the uh, uh, camera stand. And, you know, yeah. it was, it was really, really uh, fun to do Dif- something different. And, but, you know, yeah, I've always liked doing different things. It's just sometimes, Sometimes you do it out of necessity and other times it's like this thing came up. Do you want to try? And it's like, yeah, sure. And, and, and you know, you, you've worked on everything from feature films to commercials and everything in between television shows and main titles and things Web like shows that. Or WDI shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Theme park shows and, and, and stuff like that. So it, there is a certain amount of gratification of working on those kinds of projects because they're usually shorter. Uh, and you get to see the fruits of your labor uh, sooner yeah. Uh, w- than if you were spending two years working on a feature film. Yeah, well, features, you know, features a very different animal. And, and, and uh, you know, I've been lucky the features, a lot of the features I've gotten to work on, like, like Nightmare Before Christmas and Toaster, you know, they've, they've had, they've had directors who have, um, they've got a vision for what the film is going to be. And it's a great thing to work for me. It's a great thing to work toward that vision and go, yeah, I can support this and this is how you do it. A lot of the features, unfortunately there, they tend to be, there's a brain trust in the corporate level and they're the ones who are trying to figure out what the movie is. And and the director is more of a conduit between the two, you know? Yeah. 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 That's interested me a lot less because yeah, it's too many cooks in the kitchen because you're just, you know, you're throwing pasta at the wall, see what sticks, you know? And yeah. Oh, so out of everything you've done, because you you, obviously, I think most of us, you know, who went through like a program at Cal arts or something like that, you kind of get into animation, but animation leads you someplace else. Mm -hmm. And you've done uh, uh, storyboarding and character design, and you've done a tremendous amount of directing. Uh, What, what do you like doing the best and what do you see yourself doing uh, more of in the future? For me, what I, what I like the best is, is directing when I can direct, <laughs> you know, explain <laughs> what that means. <laughs> Cause I've directed like when you can direct and you don't have, like I say, the brain trust telling you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't, you know, it's one thing to have a note and say, this isn't working. And you can look at that and go, okay, well, I, you know, let's see how we can make this better. It's another thing when you have a note that is 
somebody with a whole different approach to what they want to make, you know, what, what the thing should be. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, everybody, everybody telling the same story, you know, if you're, everybody can tell us, you, you can tell the story of, of, uh, you know, say Goldilocks and the three bears, but not everybody's going to tell that story in an entertaining way. You know what I mean? And, and so you, you, you got to defer to the person who's telling the story and let them tell it their way. And that's, that's my feeling about, about directing, you know, and, and, uh, but that's for me, when you're directing, you're getting to, well, you're literally directing, you're telling, telling people what it is you want and, and watching them bring what they bring and how they translate that back to you. Um, It was always just for me, very exciting, especially like when you get into um, the audio stuff and you're getting the actors in there and they're reading And, you know, you've got in your head what you think it's going to sound like. And inevitably they're, they're throwing something at you. That's not what you heard in your head. And you have to like instantly decide, do I like that? Is it better? Is it okay? You know, should, you know, cause you don't want to give them a read. That's the worst like insult you could give. Right. The, the yep. Actors. And you got to let them do what they do, but you know, it's, is is what they're doing is what they're doing right for the the role and and like I say it's so spontaneous and it's all happening there at that moment you know and and so much of this process is like you know when you're when you're storyboarding and you're animating it's well I'll see you in 6 weeks you know when I get the thing done but the recording stuff is just so instant that every time I come out of there I'm I'm like buzzed about it you know it's it's like like I've had too much coffee or something. And, and, and of course you're recording the voices before, before you do any animation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you've in theory storyboarded out an episode and you're recording the voices before it gets, you know, before that dialogue is read onto an exposure sheet and before there's any kind of uh, animation being done. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and just, they say the, the casting, the, you know, it, it, it's just so important, you know, that that's such an important element. And I think what they get wrong a lot is that they think it's all about big name actors. You know, they right. like the big name actors and, sure. and it's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any kids out there who went, you know, mommy, let's go see this movie. Cause you know, Brad Pitt's doing a voice, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, that's not, really the thing i mean maybe maybe if barney did a voice <laughs> i think well, i think it's more about myself, I, I think it's more about getting airplay with uh free marketing that, yeah well that, that's, that's probably really what it's all about by having those names sure but i don't i don't know if those big names necessarily make the film better as right. a final product and yeah and um you know i understand it's it's there's a whole marketing into that that's that um but yeah for me you know it's can, can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now? Because I know you, you've done a bunch of episodes of uh, Puppy Dog Pals TV yeah, well that, series. That wrapped about, I don't know, going on a year and a half ago now. And but, they're, after, but they're still dropping, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they drop them a little bit at a time. They, they, they have their, for whatever reasons, they 
you know, it's a weird time now with with how things are released because um, it seems like it seems like the trend now is to like batch drop everything and and right. you know you 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 work for two years on something and it's all out boom and then uh, and then they let the whole crew go and then you got to start over again hiring everybody back and you know if and, they decide to pick it up right yeah 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 so it's yeah. it's 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 hard to keep a crew. Rolling, rolling along. Yeah. And, you know, when you get a crew, that's that it's hard to get a, a cohesive crew that's it works as a team, you know, and if right. you get that, it's it's, you know, just to let that go is and start over again. And, and it's, it's tough. But, but is it isn't that a big issue now in animation today? Uh, yep. more so than when we were first starting out. Oh yeah. I mean, well, wasn't you know, really an issue back I, then. I, yeah. But I think today the crews are more transient. People are just kind of going from project to project. They're not staying with a studio as much and, and working on multiple projects where you got that sort of cohesive team that knows one another and, you know, and, and they're honing their skills together. Yeah, you well, to, to get this, to your question, what I'm doing now, it's since Puppy Dog Pals wrapped, it's been jumping from one thing to another. And it's been a lot of, you know, we need you for like six weeks on something. Come on. And, you yeah. know, I seem I seem to be doing a lot of uh, uh, rescue work. <laughs> and and why, why is that? Why is that? I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, it's a, it's, um, it's, I don't know. It's just, do you, really, do, you, it, do you feel like, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there because it feels to me like there's so many studios, there's so many people trying to do animation that there's some people that really don't know what they're doing with animation mm -hmm. and they're, they're letting people do stuff and then it's not working because the person didn't really have the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden they're calling in more experienced people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, it, so they're throwing good money. They're, 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 they're throwing uh, like twice the amount of money away that they should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in the old days, they used to do that with, with story stuff where, you know, <laughs> they, they wouldn't have their script ready and they'd go forward and, yeah, we'll fix it in animation, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then they, you know, or they, they bored out, you know, half a movie mm -hmm. and realize it's not working and tear it down and reboard it. Yeah. But, but and yeah, that's, you're right. And that's part of the process. But, but now it's, it's like you say, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of animation schools out there right now and they're kicking out a lot of students. And, and a lot of them aren't very good. And a lot of, and, but they want jobs and they're out there yeah. and they'll, you know, I, I can only speculate, but yeah. you know, they, I'm sure they make a lot less money Yeah. and, you know, and, you know, and, and, and in some ways I, I wonder if I'm falling into that, I'm the old guard stage of my career where, you know, when, when I was a younger guy and you'd see guys, the older guys who'd been around for, you know, since, the fifties and sixties, you know, right. and, and you'd be like, you know, if I hadn't heard of them, then you think, well, what, who the hell is this old guy? And why is he still alive? You know? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so, you know what it is, Stephen. you're, you're like Liam Neeson. You're a man with a certain set of skills. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, you go in there and you're going to clean up and, 
and uh, make all of their stuff so much better because of your experience? Well, it's it's been it's been a lot. Like I say, last year I've worked on six different projects, and it's it's been just a lot of just filling in, filling in, filling in, and and uh, and I'm I'm working on something now. I'm I'm boarding on a show for Braun Entertainment that uh, a similar situation where you know they need you know, the stuff came back from animation and there's some problems and, yeah. you know, they want somebody to go in and reboard some things and sure. it's like, all right, should have hired me first. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They've hired you. So yeah, they I, have. So, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm grateful for the work. I, I, but like I say, it's, you know, I worry that I worry that this is, you know, how it's going to be now. And is it, am I the old guard? Is this, is this an ageism thing? Is it, a, I don't know. Do you feel that way? When I go on Zoom meetings and they're very young people on the Zoom meetings and they only want to talk about the goofy movie and Nightmare Before Christmas and and then oh, and I okay. don't then I don't get the job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I'm I'm you know, they're not gonna find somebody more experienced to do these things. Right, right. You know, and so how how do you explain not getting not getting the call? Yeah, you know. Well, you know, listen, as a screenwriter friend of mine said to me, he goes, you know, they don't want to be sitting in a conference room looking across the table at somebody who's their dad's age. Yeah. You know? Well, that's it. They don't want, you know, who wants yeah. to hire one of their dad's friends? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and in some case, it's literally one of their dad's friends. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's next for you? Next, you just you're 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 doing you're going project to project, whatever project comes along. Project to project, I I got a I got a I got a pitch I've been working on that I want to do, but everybody's got a pitch, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and other than that, it's 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 been like yeah, you know, trying to figure out where it's going. Part of part of me is like, yeah, I want to, I, I I still want to do this. I I enjoy the process. Yeah, you know. Um, but then you know if 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 the industry is not responding in kind, then, then it'd say, well, maybe I sell everything and go live in a small town and buy an ice cream truck. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, when I look at all your credits and all the projects you've worked on, you, you, you've been on tons and tons of shows. I mean, you got, you know, well over 50 screen credits, uh, you know, and I'm not counting all the episodes, you know, yeah. uh, but, but just on shows. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you're going to continue doing a, a lot of great work. Uh, well, this is, this is what I know how to do. And uh, yeah. you know, it's something I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at. And, and, yeah. um, like I say, I, as long as I still enjoy doing it and, and people are, people are willing to hire me to do it, then, then why not? It's, yeah. Well, listen, Steve, I got to say thank you so much for being on the Skull Rock podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It was a a great conversation, and uh, I look forward to seeing what what else you're going to be doing in the future. Uh, You've got such a diverse uh, background. It's amazing to me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, well, you know, it's, it's, it's great talking to you, Dave. I mean, we've known each other for how long? Jesus Let's let's not let the audience know how long. <laughs> I, I I remember Dave in a, a quarter a core. I remember that was your quote. A quarter a core. We'd have to go get a core from you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, man. It was great talking to you. We will have you back again at some point in the future. But thanks, Steve. It was really terrific.
Oh, great. Well, thank you, guys. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. You know, it's funny uh, how the story artists um, are just so on point and and so talented in really getting getting to the heart of these stories uh, with the animation, Dave. Oh no, absolutely, and and you know Steve Moore is is really uh, not only a terrific uh, artist and a talented storyteller, but uh, really nice guy. I, I mean, he's just really a terrific guy. And and, and you know, uh, this past Saturday night, I, I I saw him at the Jerry Reese opening and actually met his kids. Awesome. And I'll I'll tell you when you start to meet uh you know uh adult children of people that you work with in the industry, you start to make you feel a little old, you know. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, uh the kids are big fans of his work with the goofy movie and of course puppy dog pals. So uh we definitely like uh like his work a lot here in this house. I mean, it, we're literally doing pet and animal cartoons all day every day <laughs> fantastic kids. well i i i would th- think nothing more because uh the the little ones uh, in your household are are enjoying the animation they love it and so do we here of course at skull rock podcast and thank you so much for once again for tuning into the program if you love if you love 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 everything you've been hearing over the past uh past couple hours we do encourage you to sign up and uh, subscribe to the show. We would appreciate that. If you love it, follow us on all the socials. Dave and I are both individually on LinkedIn. Also our fan pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the show archive. You can find on everywhere you find podcasts, especially on uh, Spotify, our home. And you can email us Dave at skullrockpodcast.com or Aljon at skullrockpodcast.com. And I will say, uh, once again, follow me on Instagram at AljonGo for fun music and uh, podcast news, especially about this program. And then you can also check out um, my show with my wife, Kristen, which is a Dining at Disney podcast with two episodes every single week. So thank you so much. And thank you to Sorcerer Radio Network also for promoting our show. Dave, you got the final word. Well, as always, Al John, uh, you can go to davidbosser.com if you're interested in some animation history and reading some uh, free articles. Uh, you can also uh, find some of my books at theoldmillpress.com uh, or wherever books are sold. And with that, uh, go out, have a fantastic week uh, if you can. Uh, hopefully it's going to start warming up uh, in your neck of the woods and spring is here. And uh, we will see you uh, back here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, adventures by Disney? 
they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com.